0: plushcare.com slash loss
1: This is the voice of freedom. General MacArthur speaking. People of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil. Soil consecrated in the blood of our two people. We have come...
0: In 1944, General Douglas MacArthur waded ashore at Leyte in the Philippines. Two years later, after the end of the war, a young U.S. Navy radio and radar technician sat in a hut in Leyte, reading an old issue of the Atlantic magazine. An article called As We May Think by engineer Vannevar Bush caught his eye. Bush was concerned that war, which had consumed most of the first half of the 20th century, had led science to focus on destruction instead of understanding. He believed that increased access to knowledge could change that. And he laid out his vision for something he called the memex. The technology he described is not impressive to us today. Ultra high resolution microfilm multiple viewing screens, automatic typewriters, and electromechanical controls, but the concepts probably sound more familiar. Take this for example. Bush wrote, "Holy new forms of encyclopedias will appear, ready-made, with a mesh of associative trails running through them, ready to be dropped into the memex, and there amplified." I mean, it's a little archaic, but pretty good description of Wikipedia, if you ask me. Or Google. Or the internet itself. Other parts of Bush's essay describe versions of what we'd call file systems, speech recognition, even hypertext. But the overriding idea was to take the information explosion of the 20th century and use technology to make it accessible to everybody. Thus you would increase human understanding and better the world. I mean, that's the mission statement of pretty much every tech company to come out of Silicon Valley. But let's get back to that radio engineer sitting in that hut in Leyte, reading Bush's essay. That article inspired that engineer to create technology that not only fulfilled Bush's dreams, but took them further. That radio engineer was named Douglas Engelbart, and he would go on to demonstrate a desktop computer system that had a word processor, hypertext, a mouse, graphics, video conferencing, and even collaborative editing. So many of the bedrock elements of the personal computer that we're going to spend multiple episodes talking about each one. And Engelbart did it in a demo that would set the template for how every huge tech company, Microsoft, Apple, Samsung, Facebook, all of them would unveil their biggest products in the future.
1: We have a pointing device called our mouse. The library, what am I supposed to pick up there? I can just point to that. Then I'm going to jump to a link. Here's a link. we set up now audio coupling, and then we're both looking at the same display, and that'd be very handy to work. We could talk to each other and point.
0: All of that from an attempt to embody Bush's dreams in one demo, in 1968. Let's help you know a little more about the mother of all demos.
1: Do you smile to tempt a lover, Mona Lisa? It's
0: 1950. Now, I don't know if Mona Lisa by Nat King Cole happened to be playing on the radio when Doug Engelbart proposed, but I do know she said yes. That engagement got Engelbart thinking about his future. I mean, he needed some goals beyond just get married and live happily ever after. He decided he wanted to focus his career on making the world a better place. And to do that, you needed to get people organized on a grand scale. And to make that easier, you could probably use computers. That old idea of the memex by Vannevar Bush seemed like a good way to do that. You know, if it was real. By 1957, Engelbart had got a job at the Stanford Research Institute, the SRI, in Menlo Park, California. And by 1962, he had produced a report called Augmenting Human Intellect, a conceptual framework which laid out his plan for achieving Bush's concepts in reality. The U.S. Advanced Research Project Agency, ARPA, gave him funding and he started the Augmentation Research Center, the ARC, and they developed something called the online system or nls lowercase o in the on for nls online system now that might give you a little hint at what the computing community of the time thought of engelbart's ideas they were a little far-fetched right i mean computers are great but the idea that they could bring about world peace or whatever engelbart was preaching frankly made him sound a little like a crackpot to some people Certainly, he had smart people, and he was a smart person himself, and they were working on interesting things, but nothing practical, right? By 1968, the NLS was far enough along that the team felt like maybe it was ready to show the public. It was ARPA director Robert Taylor who urged Engelbart to do a demo of NLS, an on-stage demo during the fall joint computer conference put on by the Association for Computing Machinery and the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, aka the ACM and IEEE. A 90-minute talk was scheduled for December 9th under the title, A Research Center for Augmenting Human Intellect. Now, the conference has happened in San Francisco. The NLS runs off machines in Stanford. So they set up an NLS workstation in San Francisco's Civic Center Auditorium, but it had to be connected to the computers at Stanford 30 miles away, so they used two 1,200 baud modems blistering fast for the time to connect to the SDS-940 computer at SRI. The display was then projected on a 22-foot screen so the audience could see it two microwave links were set up to let them show video of what was going on at the lab in Stanford. And uh, just a side note, Stuart Brand, who was at the time the editor of the brand new, only been out one time Whole Earth catalog, was the camera operator in the lab back at Stanford. Anyway, it was a lot of technology to make a compelling demo to win over a skeptical crowd. And Engelbart began with an apology.
1: I hope you'll go along with this rather unusual setting and the fact that I remain seated when I get introduced and the fact that I'm going to come through you mostly through this medium here for the rest of the show. And I should tell you that I'm backed up by quite a staff of people between here and Menlo Park, where Stanford Research is located, some 30 miles south of here. And uh, if every one of us does our job well, it'll all go very interesting, I think.
0: He then got into the demo, by typing a few words on the screen, (laughs) literally, literally the word word several times. Then without fanfare, brought what we would call a mouse cursor up into view, and copied and pasted a few words. Then he saved it as a file, got prompted to choose a file name. He chose sample file. And well, within a couple minutes, he had demonstrated a word processor. And to us, it is a very bare bones word processor but to a crowd of people used to working with teletypes not monitors it's mind-blowing and he doesn't stop there he moves from revelation to revelation without fanfare
1: so here i'm afraid i'll need a different picture the view <laughs> so here's what i drew with a picture drawing capability It's a slight map if i start from work and here's the route i seem to have to go to to pick up all the materials and that's my plan for getting home tonight but if I want to, I can say the library, what am I supposed to pick up there? I can just point to that. And oh, I see overdue books and all.
0: Engelbart pulled up a drawing with a line showing points of travel. He clicked on library and got a note telling him he had overdue books. He has linked text in a graphic in 1968.
1: Links. Then I'm going to jump to a link. Here's a link. It says you want to go to statement A That's a demo of hypertext. Okay, to talk about control devices, we'll use this overhead camera shot where you can see the devices that I'm using. I use three, and they're not all standard. We have a pointing device called a mouse.
0: And now he's properly showed off the mouse.
1: I don't know why we call it a mouse. Sometimes I apologize. It started that way, and we never did change it. So I'm going to Establish a collaborative mode between me and another terminal. Bill Paxton is at a terminal back at SRI.
0: Oh, and how about some real-time collaborative editing, long before Google Docs? Heck, before Larry and Sergey were even born.
1: That's great. Now we're connected. Audio, you can see my work. you can point at it, and I can see your face, and we can talk. So let's do some collaborating. You're silent. <laughs> oh. What do you want me to say? Yeah. There's nobody here but a large audience, Bill.
0: Yeah, he demoed video conferencing, too. And not too many things have changed in video conferencing. Ah, but then
1: he had one more thing. And a forthcoming involvement is this ARPA computer network, the experimental network that's going to come into being in its first form in about a year and end up sometime later with some 20 experimental computers in a network. The Internet.
0: That thing the ARPA folks who funded Engelbart were working on?
1: Yeah, he had a hand in that, too. And in our open house, we have a a full office that's equipped like this with this kind of a console that we're very excited about that we invite you to come to.
0: He even let people try it out themselves. You got to do a hands-on demo after the demo. Suffice to say, Engelbart got a standing ovation. And his innovations were immediately put into active use and the NLS became the desktop computer of the 1970s. Something about that doesn't sound right, does it? Because that's not what happened? I mean, it was an impressive demo. Nobody disagreed with that. But, I mean, it was too far out there. Sorry, I have to get back to making my physical teletype work. I mean, maybe I'll get one of those glass teletypes, the monitors, but the rest of this? Well, I mean just isn't practical, is it? Engelbart kept plugging away, but his team slowly dispersed. Several of them ended up at Xerox in the nearby Palo Alto Research Center, or Xerox Park in Palo Alto, California. And by 1973, a lot of what Engelbart showed had been refined and integrated into the Xerox Alto, a fully functioning personal computer. No connection to a mainframe needed. About fair play, though, the Xerox Alto did not revolutionize things either. Its extension of Bush and Engelbart's ideas were licensed and sometimes borrowed by Steve Jobs at Apple and Bill Gates at Microsoft. In fact, Apple licensed patents for the mouse from SRI for something like forty thousand bucks. Apple and Microsoft became the leaders of the PC revolution. They. Sold people devices that let everyone do, in the 1980s, what Engelbart showed off in 1968.
1: We start by building an instrument that we can sit at and work during our day to organize the kind of working information we need as a task force developing systems. We need to write our specifications, our plans, our programs, our users' guides, our documentation, our reports, and even our proposals.
0: But the world didn't forget Doug Engelbart. He was frequently credited with inventing the mouse and hypertext, and his 1968 demo remained legendary. Stephen Levy wrote a book in 1994 about the history of the Macintosh computer called Insanely Great, and he credited Engelbart with kicking off the chain of developments that led to the Mac. In writing about that 1968 conference, Levy described Engelbart As a calming voice from mission control, as the truly final frontier whizzed before their eyes, it was the mother of all demos. And that's what folks call it today. In every major tech reveal you can remember, there's a nod to its mother. I mean, sure, the crowds are livelier. An iPod. A phone. Are you getting? the speakers can be a little more animated. But at their core, they're all just paying homage to Engelbart. And you are too. If you're using a computer or even a phone, you're using a device built on the designs that came out of Engelbart's lab and developed by people inspired by how they worked. We're going to do full episodes that focus on just some of the major products this demo inspired. Clicked on a link lately? You used hypertext. And when you clicked on that link, well, you probably used a mouse. Did you meet on Zoom or Teams or even use FaceTime? Well, then you used some kind of video conferencing. I bet you used a word processor this week. I not only used one to write this episode, but then took advantage of collaborative editing so our producer and editor could work on it too. Engelbart showed off all of that hypertext the mouse word processing video conferencing and collaborative editing long before they were the commonplace tools we use today we're going to dive in and tell you those stories as well but for now i hope you know a little more about the mother of all demos Know a Little More is researched, written, and hosted by me, Tom Merritt. Editing and production provided by Anthony Lamos in conjunction with Will Saddleberg and Dog & Pony Show Audio. It's issued under a Creative Commons Share Attribution 4.0 international license. Dog & Pony Show Audio.